17% of bar production. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another edition of Laugh, Lend, and Eat, the podcast. And uh, I am so pleased that we were able to get back on Laugh, Lend, and Eat for a one-on-one, the founder of High Point Training and Coaching, Ray Beefus. Ray, how are you? I'm honored to be here. It's a sunny day in Michigan. I'm glad to join you, Fabi. Awesome, awesome. See, I, I, I was looking at my notes and then I realized, hold on, he's got high point training and coaching behind him. All I got to do is stare at him and I can I can know my notes now. So you helped me out a lot on that, Ray. How, how's everything going in Michigan? I know you're saying it's sunny, but I mean, Michigan is like, what? I mean, sunny 42 degrees or sunny oh, 75? No, no, it's uh, probably mid 80s today. It's oh, really? uh, unseasonably warm, like most of the country are. Our weather's up and down, and uh, we're either chilly when it should be warm, or we're pretty hot when it should be cool. Wow, wow! No, so because Michigan is is typically I'm trying to remember, it's it's a cold state, right? It's up there by Illinois, next to Canada. Wisconsin. All right, we're above Illinois. We're uh, surrounded by lakes, so it's green. Looks a lot like the UK here. Yeah, really wooded lakes. It's it's a beautiful part of the country. I always think of Detroit because my uncle used to live in Detroit when I was a kid. And we yeah. drove to Detroit. I was maybe six or seven years old. Yeah. And that's the only memory I have of Detroit of nine, in 1974, if you want to age that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's changed since then, right? So Michigan's like a big pie. Detroit's just one little slice. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they always tell me when I mention that story. You're, you're like the third or fourth person who's told me that. So, oh. right. I want to dive into a lot of things that we have covering for you. So, obviously, this is a, a great, great moment for me because normally you know you've been on the other end of coaching me and 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 I've enjoyed my one-on-ones with you so when you agreed to do this one-on-one I wanted to make sure that this was not you coaching me but me getting information for our listeners so they understand why when you know I call you or when I schedule with you why those one hours one-on-ones with you are so important for me uh it's not just because you know you got a cool hairstyle still and <laughs> you have 18 or 16 grandkids. I mean, when you put those two things together, it's amazing, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I play electric guitar. You play bass, man. We make music. Now, one side note is, I mean, you you like motorcycling. I do. Now, I do. what kind of motorcycling do you, I mean, this is not totally off topic. What kind of motorcycling do you like? Well, I mean, my wife, my wife and I have toured the country from uh, New England to the Rocky Mountains to uh, the Key West. Um, wow. It's a great way to see America. And uh, we've enjoyed it for. Is it painful though? Is it painful? Yeah, I mean, let me. I always think of sitting on a bike. You know, I mean, like I, I did motorcycle when I was a kid, right, or teenager, right. Or whatever right. that was, right? Right. I, I don't know if I could really sit on one today for that period of time. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's an adventure. You're out in the weather. You're not sitting in a bucket seat, so you take more breaks. You stop for pie and coffee. Um, <laughs> But uh, I'm going to say it, Ray. I'm going to say it. I'm going to do it. Do you stop for the hot butter popcorn? There you go. <laughs> All right. So look, let, let's find out what more about Ray Beef is together. Great. Here's one of the most interesting things I, I've, 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 I've discovered about you while we're getting ready for this interview. You're a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. I am. And so, I mean, that that's obviously a profound part of your life when you when you make, make that kind of commitment. Yeah. So, so can you talk uh, us about that, yeah. Yeah, I spent uh, much of my career in the church world as a pastor. 
um, which is tough. You, you have an organization of hundreds, maybe thousands of people and nobody gets paid. Mm. And so it's very leadership intensive. Um, you can't fire people. Uh, you can't, uh, you know, can't give them raises. In fact, they're giving you money, hmm. to make the organization work as a nonprofit. And so, uh, some of the most effective leaders I've ever met have actually been pastors, priests, um, leaders of congregations where all their, you know, their volunteers, their members, their employees are, or most of them are, are volunteers. And so, um, I got interested in leadership, you know, right from the bat, uh, get go. And um, it became a lifelong study. And uh, I discovered, you know, not only is our, our pastors and priests generally underprepared for leadership, so are people in just about every industry. Mm. Very few people get really great training in management and um, leadership. And so when that chapter of my life, um, was just coming down. How many losing. years was it? How many years did you, I mean, obviously a good portion or? Oh yeah, I was involved in, in that for, you know, 30 years, 35 wow. years, yeah. yeah. So the best part of my life or the big part of my life. And so about 10 years ago, I thought I wanna be part of the solution for people in the mortgage banking industry, for mm -hmm. any industry, nonprofit, for-profit, and actually help people with the challenges of management and leadership. Do you, do you find any similarities? I mean, look, I mean, you're talking about volunteer work and, and, and I think somebody said to me, I can't remember, it may, may have been Michael Chapman. I think he said, if you ever wanna learn about leadership, go, go you know, uh, manage a bunch of volunteers. Right, right. <laughs> I, I, I think he said that, I'm not sure. I do remember that, that, so, I mean, is there similarities that you're seeing between people managing volunteers versus people managing people for profit? Yeah. So what happens if you manage people for profit or for money, you get to a certain level, mm -hmm. you know, I give you the money, you better do some work, but generally people will, will comply. They'll give what they have to give to get a paycheck. But if you want their discretionary effort, if you want to move them from 50% to 110%, that's where you have to do what pastors and priests have to do, they have to be excellent at casting vision, mm -hmm. you know, uh, declaring and uh, aligning around values. Mm. Um, they have to care about their teams as people, right. not just, you know, employees. And so in some cases, you know, that, that thing that pastors and priests have to do, um, becomes something that everybody has to do to actually rise. So are we, are we talking about engagement? We are. That's, we are. What you just kind of said right there is, is, is right. engagement, right? And right. there's been a lot of talk about this in this past several years. I know I've been involved on a, on a couple of occasions on, on, on some deep level where employee engagement seems to be at a low. Oh yeah. Even though compensation seems to be at a high. Right. So we have high compensating employees who are not really engaged with the right. employer. Right. Marshall Goldsmith is an, a, an executive coach. He's probably one of the most prominent or has been one of the most prominent coaches in America. And he's pretty old right now, but he wrote a book that's titled what got you here won't get you there. Oh. And so what he says is that a lot of leaders, managers, executives, 
rise to a certain level because of their technical knowledge, their hard work, their skills, but their interaction with people keep them hitting a ceiling. And it's personal issues. It's learning to relate at a human level on the basis of values, vision, goodwill, trust, that actually allows an executive, a leader, a founder to rise to their full stature. But when a leader tops out and is just, you know, he's the best widget maker in the company. So uh -huh. you know, he's, he's the chairman. Everybody else is sort of limited. Like, yeah, I'll do what I have to do to get a paycheck. Wow. But in every case, Fabi, growing companies are led by growing leaders. Yeah. I, I, used to work with the, I used to work, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I used to work for this one mortgage company where the owner was brilliant in that he kept on bringing in people that were smarter than him Yeah. to grow the company. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I was a witness to that. So I was just like, I was watching it happen and seeing the company grow leaps and bounds year over year. Yeah. While the owner sat back and took the credit, even though he knew all the people around him were way smarter. Yeah. And it was a great company to be part of because it was really exciting. It was, you know, every division had some of the most smartest people I've ever met in the, in the, in my career in the mortgage business. Yeah. And, uh, it was, a, it was a great time. So I, I see what you're saying on that. Is there a time where a leader holds himself back but they don't acknowledge that they're limited? Oh, absolutely. And so that's why I'm an executive coach is that, um, leaders like you've described who are humble enough who are self-aware enough, realize that, hey, I'm human like everybody else. And I might be pretty smart. I might have had great advantages, but I've got to keep growing. I've got blind spots. Mm. And so as an executive coach, you know, I remember sitting at a, an economic club dinner and a, a leader said, you know, I'm starting to think maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> and that's where a coach is like a shark in water with blood. It's like, I can help you. I can help you. Do you know how rare you are? You know, you think you might be the problem. You are the problem. You're the solution too. Yeah. yeah and uh, so absolutely, Fabi. And so most of the work I do is with women and men who are starting to realize I might be getting in my own way. Okay. You said the word blind spot. That's a pretty interesting word, right? Because that means that it's not visible to us, right? We're moving forward in our day to life, day to daily life. And whatever is in our blind spot is not, not visible to, the, to, to me. What are some common blind spots, some really generic ones, maybe, you know what I mean, from a 30,000 foot view that you see as a coach when an executive comes to you or a leader comes to you and you can say, oh, I got it. This is what you're not seeing. Yeah. Well, I mean, leaders are generally very busy and they're under a lot of pressure. You know, even if they're founders and they don't have a board over them, they, you know, they have the pressure to keep the company going, feed the employees and, and so on. So they're moving fast. They're under a lot of pressure. And when they're stressed, they just don't see their impact on the people around them. And so literally neuroscientists tell us that in any given moment, we're generally conscious about of, you know, 15 to 20% of our core beliefs. Um, you know, I, I'm not even in touch with how I feel about you, how I, you know, what I project to you. And I may not trust you at all. And, uh, you know, I'm watching you, but I'm too busy to engage with you. Well, the blind spot is you pick up on my lack of trust. 
Okay. Maybe I don't delegate big projects to you. Maybe I uh, don't really listen when you talk. Maybe I don't invite you to key meetings. And so I'm, I'm so busy, so stretched, so thin. I often, you know, leaders who are that busy don't see the way they impact other people. Hmm. And I like you because you deliver in spades. I don't like Ray because he asks too many questions. Got it. But when, you, when you're spread that thin, I mean, isn't that because of a lack of delegation to begin with? It is. So, I mean, so that's like, another blind spot. Yeah, so you're almost like creating the problem to stay in the problem. Sure. Well, I mean, people don't do it intentionally, but they have may have this core belief that, you know, I like Fabi, but he just can't do as good a job as I can do. Sure. I doubt that he can be even be trained to be as good as me. Yeah. Uh, I'm so good. And yeah. so, you know, it's all common for me to work with teams and team members will say, I don't think my... My boss trusts me. Why? Well, he doesn't delegate. He just, he's busy. He complains about being busy, but he doesn't share the work. He doesn't give away the big projects. Hmm. He just pushes little things from his desk to mine, and I don't feel trusted. So let's go on the flip side of that, Ray. If I have a person, let's say, working in my group, right? And let's say, you know, God forsake, I mean, I probably have some blind spots still, right? <laughs> What's yeah, I'm sure I yeah. do. I, <laughs> do. Right. I appreciate that. <laughs> Let's just let the whole world know. <laughs> You're a um, human being, my friend. <laughs> thank you. Actually, it was, it was somebody used to say, I'm a human becoming. I'm not, right. I haven't become That's yet. Right. I'm still right. um, what's the best way for somebody to approach me and say, hey, Fab, by the way, you doing this makes me feel like this or whatever. So I, yeah. but I want to be engaged with the company. I want to be, you know, if they're sincere. Yeah. How was the best way to approach that topic? When I work with people, I, I, I tell them the power of being unexpectedly kind or respectful and uncommonly direct. Okay. And so if I was going to come to you, you were my boss, I'd say, Fabi, I really uh, appreciate working here. Um, you inspire me. I'm glad to be part of the team. And uh, can I ask you for a favor? that would help me really give my best more consistently. Mm. So I would be, I would marry together uncommon or unexpected kindness and respect with uncommon directness. And I would ask you, and so you have the power to say, no, I'm not interested. Not now. Yeah. But if you were, I could say, you know, Fabi, I sometimes, um, I'm not clear on what you really want. You're giving me short explanations. I want to deliver in spades. You're so busy. I don't know if I even dare ask you a question okay. uh, because you're too busy. Uh, I'm wondering if that's something that we could work on together. Could I have permission to get crystal clear on the assignments you give me before mm -hmm. I pull the trigger? Is it better to do it verbally or through email? Uh, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me shoot you in the leg. Never email. Never, never, never. And so anytime conversations become challenging, mm -hmm. certainly if they're negative, and this isn't exactly negative, but I'll tell you what, do not, do not use email. Okay. It's too easily uh, misunderstood. And I, I can't pick up the tone of your voice in an email. I can't see the expression on your face. So if I have a busy boss, I say, okay, I'm going to write Ray an email saying, hey, Ray, 
I really need 15 minutes with you one-on-one -on -one where I have your attention. Yeah. Right? I'd probably say, I'd probably say five minutes. Five minutes. Okay. I need five minutes. Can I ride minutes. in the elevator with you? Can I ride in the and elevator? I meet you in the parking lot and can walk I, into the building with you? Can I carry you? your suitcase to the airport? Exactly. <laughs> uh, I get it. So basically you want to have the conversation verbally, but you want to, you want to make, you respect the schedule of your, of your boss. Yeah. Right. Because obviously they're busy. That's why you're, you're not able to get what you want. Right. Right. But I want, I want to let them know that their busyness is actually keeping me from doing my best work. What happens if they get a negative response from their boss? What if the boss says, Hey, this is the way I am, like it or not. It's not yeah. going to change anytime, but you're making damn good money. Fi. What are you complaining about? Yeah. I back off. Really? Um, you know, unless I wanted to risk something. And sometimes it is worth risking what is to have what you dream of having. Got it. And, uh, you know, I, I regularly coach people who are in the C-suite, but they're not the CEO. Mm -hmm. And they've got these kinds of issues going on. And I'll say, are you ready to risk what you have in order to get what you dream of having? Yeah. And sometimes they're not. You know, it's I don't want to risk my job by standing up to him. Yeah. And sometimes what you think you want when you get it, you don't even realize you didn't need it. Right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of times in my life where I've grabbed for something and I'm like, when I got it, I was like, wow, I didn't know if the, really, I, if I'd known it was going to be like this, I'd have stayed there. <laughs> yeah. And it's not well, always a job, by the way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Different things in life. But I do think men and women of character, even when they're stressed, have a sense that my best employees will be willing to challenge me and support me. Yeah. And so, you know, even if a boss responds negatively, I would just, I'd say, all right, Thanks for hearing me. And I'd leave. Uh, and I would know that he's probably going to think about that. Do or you, she's going to think about that. Yeah. So, I mean, do you come back a second time? Then? I might. Okay. Depends on how important it is to me. Got it. I mean, in the situation I described where I'm getting incomplete messages, instructions, if my thing blows up, it's going to be on me. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't want that to happen. I want to, you know, deliver the best results. I want to move my career forward and actually my over busy boss is in my way. So this is a great segue to the other topic that, that I got laid down here is the five behaviors model. Now this came from a, correct me if I'm wrong, but something to do with a dysfunctional team, right? And then this is the positive side of the five behaviors of a functional team, I imagine. Correct. So let's dive into that. I mean, because really, I mean, we are talking at this point about a, <laughs> about a dysfunctional team, right? Yeah. And so yeah. we're trying to get to the other side of it of how do I make it a functional team where somebody can stay in that team? Is that a good way to say that? And give their best. And give their best. So let's talk about this five behaviors, right? I'm going to go through this so my listeners know what we're talking about. The five behaviors from what I read here is, is the number one thing was trust. Second was engage in conflict, which is really interesting. Commit to your decisions, hold each other accountable, and then focus on, a, on achieving collective results. So those were the five behaviors, Ray, that I think you, you were training people on, uh, according to, the, to the, whatever the book. Yeah. So let's dive into that. Well, Patrick Lencioni is probably the voice across the Western world for um, organizational health. And his view, and he has many, many supporters, is that you can be a very smart organization and that you have the best technology, you have the deepest 
you know, pockets, you're the smartest, uh, tightest, you know, most powerful engine on the block. But if you have two companies that are equally smart, what's going to set the one apart is health, not smart. Mm. That you actually work together as an exceptional team. Okay. And, um, and so we've got a lot of smart, smart executives. We've got a lot of companies with first rate technology. And uh, for decades now, Patrick Lencioni has been beating the drum for team health. And so he said to get the best out of a team, and he wrote a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Yeah. The five behaviors of a cohesive team are, are the positive side of the five dysfunctions. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to get the best out of your team, people have to trust each other. Right. They have to know it's safe to disagree. They have to know it's safe to say, I'm sorry, or I need help. They have to know it's safe to just describe the challenge and say, I don't, I'm missing pieces. So that you don't have to pretend with the team. In many teams, you have to pretend yeah, because yeah. people are climbing the ladders. People are pushing each other. There's distrust. Kind of like that yes man mentality. Yes. And so if you don't have trust, then it's not safe to fight for the best ideas. Uh -huh. And that's where conflict, constructive conflict is built on trust. You don't have trust. Everybody's fine. Everybody's smiling. When's uh -huh. the meeting going to be over? Yeah. Um, but if you have trust, you know, Mary can hit the brakes and say, Ray, I'm not convinced. I need more, more data. Yeah. Data can, Ray can come back and say, look, the data's in the report. Let's go over it one more time. And Ray's, Ray's fighting now for the best ideas. And then, you know, Larry joins in and says, I've been thinking this through and I'm wondering if we're not even, you know, climbing the wrong tree here. And now we're fighting, not demeaning each other, but for the best ideas. And we feel free to fight because we trust each other. Isn't this like a a, a, a relationship? I mean, you, the way you're sound, I mean, that could be the marriage counseling, the way you're just disguised. I mean, you know, Absolutely. describing everything, right? This is That's basically right. like how my wife and I have been able to stay married for 28 years. Exactly. So when leaders and managers begin to think of their, their people like parts and their teams like machines, they, they miss the opportunity. Yeah. So for me to get the best out of you as your boss, you and I need to be in a trusting relationship. I need you to spar with me. I need you to, to fight for the best ideas. And I worked with, with somebody once and he had been in baseball. And so they had this, this thing uh, in their meetings where like a baseball mitt, he would say, throw me a fastball. Just don't throw it at my face. <laughs> and he'd hold his hand up like a mitt, throw me your, your fastball. Um, I so, remember for a company that, that had a meeting on Monday mornings, it was a conglomerate of different companies, right? So I, I was yeah. on the mortgage division and there was other investments and so on. And they called this the friendly fire meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And it was whatever was, you know, you disagreed with somebody like, Hey, Fab, you did a loan for one of my high worth borrowers and you delayed the closing and now they're angry and they want to pull their deposits from our fund. That kind of stuff. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. What, what tell, happened? Me your, tell me your side of what happened. So if you have trust, then you can fight. And if we fought openly about for what we believe in, then even if it doesn't go my way, I've been heard and I'm ready to commit. Okay. And if, I, if I'm your boss, I can go around the table and I say, are you in, are you in, are you in, are you in? And I know everybody's in, even if it didn't go their way, because we've all fought for our best ideas. So now there's commitment. 
And what that commitment does then is it sets us up for accountability. Okay. And three weeks later, we come to the meeting and, and you're the boss and you say, hey, Ray, uh, you were supposed to deliver, you know, that report by Friday. I don't see it. What's going on? Yeah. And now in front of everybody, you know, I made a commitment to the whole team. I didn't deliver. Maybe I don't get punished, but I, I got to give account. Yeah. And this this takes us to the top of the pyramid, with, which is results. You know, uh, we're all about results here. And we've got the third quarter. It's only, you know, we're in the second quarter. We've only got six weeks left. Clock's ticking, Ray. When yeah. is that going to be on my desk? Yeah. And I can have that conversation openly in front of everybody because we're a team that trusts each other. So is this where the word ownership came from? These kind of healthy discussions yeah. where yeah. three weeks prior to you now asking me or me asking you, which, which I can't remember, right? You said, hey, Fab, will you take ownership of this project? And I said, I'm going to take ownership of this project and boom, checked it off. Yeah. So that ownership gave me a certain amount of empowerment because you then delegated your, your basic, you're saying, Fab, you, you have the ownership of this project, whatever you deem fit, but I need the results in three weeks. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that brings up a whole nother subject, Fabi, which is delegation. Yeah. And it doesn't happen very often. Most of what we call delegation is me just pushing work off my desk on you, okay. <laughs> your desk. And so when delegation is done well, I describe a job that's important. I invite you to co-create a plan to, to fulfill it. So now there's ownership hmm. and you've said, yes, we both agreed on what success will look like and why it matters to the team. And so you understand this is important. You've been part of creating the solution. And now we're going to create accountability between us. We're going to talk about authority. But again, you know, when I talk to executives, managers, we talk about delegation, it's mostly I push work off my desk onto Fabi's desk. <laughs> so it's, it's more about stuff that they don't want to do rather than a project that maybe I'm better suited for. Correct. So that's the big difference. I mean, so delegation really is the proper use of that, right? I mean, that. that oh, yeah. It's actually, you know, giving you jobs that matter, even if they're small. And so I may have a job that I shouldn't be doing. I may have a job that I don't even like to do because I'm not detail oriented. Okay. But I know you are detail oriented. No, you'd have the wrong guy on that one. Okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'll find somebody else who is, you know, but I would choose the you right person. My, you could see my chicken scratch for this right. interview. You'd be like, don't trust Bobby ever right. again. <laughs> so part of it is finding the right person yeah. for the job. And uh, even if it's tedious, I can say, Fabi, this really is a linchpin to our success in the you know, the Ford Motors project uh, and, you know, the commercial property they're trying to buy. And uh, I know you're the man, you have some relationships, you have a network. Will you help me think this through? What's the best way to solve it? Mm -hmm. And uh, you give your input and, uh, you know, I can even sweeten the deal and say, Fabi, this is going to give you and I an opportunity to work more closely together. You know, I appreciate you. I've seen you from a distance, but this is going to give us an opportunity to partner together, get to know each other better. So that's a win yeah. for any employee. 
and we're going to be checking in every two weeks over these next 10 or you know mm -hmm. maybe every week over the next 10 weeks it'll get us a chance to partner together i'll get to see your skills and your tenacity you know firsthand and that's really going to be valuable to me and i think it'll be valuable to you so it really does so, help. I mean, it's it's, it's a multi it's, it's multifaceted. It's not just one dimensional. It, I mean, delegation, and I mean, so many right. different things that occur out of delegation. Oh yeah, wow. delegation is a key tool in professional development. So there's something that you said to me. I don't know why this is running through my head right now, right? But remember, we talked about that tree in one of our talks, and you talked about core beliefs, creating feelings, creating actions, and I said creating legacy at the end. I remember that. Right. Yeah. So if I have a core belief that I can't delegate, or that I'm better than Ray and Ray's going to screw this up, yeah. How do I fix that core belief? Because obviously the actions that it's creating are detrimental to my organization. Yeah. Well, sometimes we have to have a two a.m. alarm clock moment, Fabi, oh. where uh, you know somebody quits and they says it's because Fabi didn't trust me. Okay. And Ray comes to you and says, wow, you know, Hank was really a valuable employee. And he said, you didn't trust him. Hmm. And in his exit interview, he said, you know, you dumped work on him, but it was just dumping stuff that wasn't good for him. Uh, it wasn't good for you. It didn't really matter. Sometimes he did great work and never celebrated. And there was no, no results that he could see that really made a difference. And so he left to find a team where he could make a bigger difference among people who trusted him. That would be a 2 a.m. alarm clock meeting for an executive or a manager to know we lost a good employee because he didn't think I trusted him. That's huge, that's huge. Yeah, so that would challenge my belief around the importance of delegating. Yeah. If I was thoughtful. So sometimes it's coaching that wakes people up. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a, a loss that wakes people up. Sometimes it's a fight. And you come into my office and you're steaming and I, I see it, you know, and I'm the producer. I can't lose you. You know, you're the, the star of the show and you are pissed. Hmm. And I, I can't just dismiss you. I've got to figure out what's going on. And do I have a part in this? Yeah. So when, 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 you find and this goes back to that word you use blind spots right so yeah. this is a blind spot and I, I keep i'm sorry but obviously delegation we keep harping on that and i don't mean to but it seems to be a blind spot right now that we're talking about and it could be any blind spot so it could be just overworked or stressed or or whatever the blind going back to that core belief if my core belief is causing me that 2 a.m alarm clock to go off do I acknowledge it? And sometimes I've seen in my career, Ray, where bad behavior is still rewarded. Yeah, right. And you've seen it also, I'm sure, right? I'm not the only one who's seen that. Sure. And so we say, hey, you know what, the guy was okay, but he didn't have that X thing that I was looking for. So when Hank quit, and he goes off to company XYZ, you know, it's okay, maybe they, maybe it's a better fit over there. Might be. You, you know, see what I'm saying? The, the pushback, right? The, oh, two, yeah. The, yeah. The, the 2 a.m. alarm went off. Yeah. But I've got my kind of answer already over the years because of my core belief. Yeah. And I don't want to acknowledge that it was my lack of X right. that caused Hank to move on. Yeah. So, you know, I was talking to an executive recently who's in a tough situation. 
Um, and uh, he said to me, you know, I could get a job anywhere next week. I want to work for this company, but I'm not sure I'm respected. Hmm. And so, you know, there's a 2 a.m. alarm clock, a moment coming up for the executive if he quits. But he's got to decide, is it worth it? If I'm not being listened to, if I'm not being respected, if I actually don't have a real voice on the team, then maybe it's time for me to move on. Uh, because he has a dream for his career. Sure. You know, the executive has a dream for his career, but so does you know the other, other people right. have dreams for their careers. And so an executive or a manager is not willing to look at their blind spots, then, you know, we, we may be setting ourselves up for a 2 a.m. alarm clock. Yeah. And I, I want to wrap this topic up right now with just real quick with this is why people say people quit managers. They don't quit companies. Exactly. Right. We've heard that a million times. Right. It's but, true. But we just went through in about 20 minutes. Really. I mean, if you sum that up. We're talking about human beings interacting with other human beings. We're not talking about a, what a corporation or a company may be doing. It's more about the human interaction between each other. Exactly. And the lack of. Yeah. That's interesting, Ray. That's, that's interesting. So yesterday, I, I bounced in on one of your calls. Um, I caught a glimpse of it, <laughs> right? And then I got the deal that I was working on that I told you about earlier. I, I got sucked into that one yesterday because we were trying to close this deal yesterday. Um, but you were saying something and it spurred this and it kind of goes back to the core belief now, right? So it's connecting in my head. It says, change your perception, get a new reality. Cause I heard you talk about perception yesterday. I heard how everyone has, and then in my head, I've always loved this saying that I heard years ago that if I change my perception, I can have a new reality. Yeah. So if I can see myself with the blind spot that Ray's now telling me, Hey, Bob, these are your blind spots and I'm willing to accept it my perception changes. Right. And then that perception then becomes my new reality. Exactly. So sometimes people are forced to go to a coach, you know, uh, they usually come because they want an opportunity and they're not sure they can actually take it. Or somebody's saying, Ray, you've got six months to get your act together, or we're going to help you find another job. Hmm. And in each case, people have to evaluate what's going on inside of me that this is happening. And so coaches have tools. I use a Harrison assessment. If you ever took one, it would, it would show you your strengths, the strengths you can build on the strengths that bring value, but it also looks at strengths out of balance. Okay. And uh, so usually when a, a leader or manager or professional takes one of these assessments, um, they have an aha moment, like, Wow. Okay. I didn't know other people saw that. I didn't know that would come up. I had one executive. Uh, it was funny. I looked at the results and he said, I don't see that. I don't see that. That's not me. That's and I said, well, you know, probably want to sit with it. Maybe talk to your wife or a trusted confidant. And, and uh, a month later he comes back and he said, I talked to my wife about that. She said, why do you need a coach? You have me. And yes, 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 yes. And so he was really sobered by that. Yeah. And no one had, maybe his wife beat him up. I didn't, I didn't have to, Sure. but um, he got it like, okay, I, I'm bringing some imbalances to my work that are hurting me and making it hard for others to work with me. How, you know, so, go ahead. 
it seems like our personal relationship, the beliefs there kind of transfer into my business relationships. I mean, what you just said right there is so powerful. You know what I mean? Where the guy went, his wife already knows his issues, but she may have been saying it or not saying it, right? And yeah. now you're, as an executive coach, you're telling him the same thing after doing the Harrison assessment, right? Yeah. But it's the same issues whether I'm in my kitchen or whether I'm in my office. Indeed. That's interesting, Ray. We are who we are everywhere we go, Fabi. We take our, our home life with us to work. We take our work life with us home. And we're dealing with people, both home and at work. And so that's why Marshall uh, Goldsmith wrote this book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, is because you can only make so much money by yourself based on your skills and technical knowledge. And from there on out, it's your ability to work with people, to bring the best out in people, to manage and lead people, just like you do in a marriage. Yeah, and yeah. so if you want to be married for 50 years or like Warren Buffett, you want to have partners for 50 years mm -hmm. and become wealthy together, you've got to know how to manage people. Is, is this the reason why you kind of, I, some of your topics revolve around emotional intelligence? Yeah. Right? So, you know, from here to here is technical ability. Did you get an MBA from Harvard? Can you make widgets better than anybody else? <laughs> right. um, can you, you know, get financing you need? But from here to here is all emotional intelligence. Yeah. And that's where Daniel Goldman, who wrote the book, you know, almost 30 years ago now, emotional intelligence says, you know, 90% of a person's success in organizations is not due to their IQ. Uh, and maybe maybe I'm, I'm stretching it a bit, but the sure. majority of their success is due to their emotional intelligence, where I can tell what's going on in me, like I'm heating up or, mm -hmm. you know, I trust you or I don't, but I know what's going on. I can also discern what's going on in you. And I can provide what you need or want to do your best work. So I can manage my emotions. I can discern your emotions. Mm -hmm. And I can behave in such a way that sets you free to do your best work. So, I mean, you hit the ceiling. What got you here won't get you there. It's all emotional intelligence from there on up. So and really for leaders, executives and leaders and, and, and people who want to be executives and leaders, something emotional, we don't talk enough about emotional intelligence. I mean, growing, I mean, coming into the industry, I was, 1987, I was 20 years old, right? Right. So my first lesson was how do I make cold calls? Yeah. <laughs> I was in the New York Life Insurance Company. Yeah. How do I make cold calls so that if I make, you know, 30 phone calls, I'll get seven appointments, I'll get one application. Yeah. That's what they were teaching me. Yeah. No one said, hey, Fab, by the way, you may want to take a pause before you answer a question because this is going to help you emotionally, you know, <laughs> yeah. make the right decisions. Yeah. That came because I fell on my face so many times that I said, you know what? I got to stop falling on my face. <laughs> yeah. Well, even if people are tired of talking about emotional intelligence, there are all kinds of other, you know, contributions to the conversation. Jade Niblick was an executive in 2000. He decided to find out what are the genius level talents that set people apart at the, the stratospheric edge of their career. Mm. You know, what are the, the genius, the, 
talents that really not, you know, you got poor workers, fair workers, good workers, strong, excellent workers, but they're a genius level. You know, what are their talents? And they did a, a study or hundreds of thousands of people in the English speaking world, Europe, Australia, you know, 75 PhDs evaluating survey results and all whatever. He wrote a book called What's Your Genius? Mm -hmm. And the findings were that there were no natural talents that separate people from those who are good or fair or excellent and take them to genius levels. It's two acquired talents, two acquired which, mean, talents. which means anybody can develop them. Okay. They are self-awareness. Got it. You know what you bring into the room. You know what people you know, need from you, you give it, you know what, and then authenticity. Okay. You're the real deal. And so self-awareness has to do with me knowing what you need, need, me knowing how I'm impacting you. How does the room react when I walk into it? And authenticity means you say, well, raise the real deal. Yeah. Those are the most successful people in business on the planet. But can I ask you a question going back to your seminary days? Yeah. Where does humility fit in there? Well, humility is not feeling bad about myself. Mm -hmm. It's having an accurate understanding of myself. So a person who's self-aware understands, look, I'm human like everybody. Perfect. Means I have strengths, yeah. I have weakness. Awesome. In between, I have blind spots. Yes. I need help. To make this a great company, I need a great team. Yeah. I need to listen to my team. Yeah, I need to help. If I help, as you the illustrated earlier with the, the executive, if I hire smart people and I help them succeed, we're going to succeed. Yeah, that's, that's, that's humility. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, because you were saying stuff that I was like, okay, I get, I, I'm getting all this, but there was like a little, for me, just for me, right? I wasn't able to connect the dots. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And it felt like to me, like humility was missing in there for my own ingredients. And that's why I needed to ask you that question. Yeah, no, humility and, the, and courage are the two qualities a coach looks for in every male or female client. Do they have the humility to admit they're human? Mm -hmm. And do they have the courage to step out of their comfort zone and into the growth zone of life? Yeah. Where I'm admitting, I don't know, I need help. Yeah. That takes humility and courage. Sure does. Sure does. I mean, you know, acknowledging our blind spots is always a tough moment in our lives. You made a video about listening. Of, I don't know if you know if you did that, but you did. <laughs> about how that's a big component uh, for you um, and where we need to learn to listen to other people, right? Yeah, yeah. So as a leader who is listening all the time, is there a point that they can listen to too much? where it's too much coming in, right? In order to make a decision, it's yeah. too much information. Sure, yeah. Unfortunately, leaders don't actually listen that well. Oh, okay. And here's the problem, Bobby. I can think like four or five times faster than you can talk. So while you're talking, I'm having a conversation with myself. How am I doing, Ray? I think I'm doing pretty good. Then I'm thinking, I'm having a conversation about you. Where's Fabi going with this? You know, <laughs> that sounds like I, my wife. <laughs> do I trust Fabi? And so I can actually have three or four conversations going on in my head with myself. And it looks like I'm listening to you, but I'm not. Wow. And so that is a, 
you know, often a for somebody who's very, very busy, I'm already thinking, how long is this going to take? You're in my office for 10 minutes. Yeah. I got three other things to do. I got a meeting in 15 minutes and I'm not even sure about my third point. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm not listening to you. Yeah. I mean, uh, listening is, 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 it seems to be a lost art. Well, well, it's, it's an intentional skill. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, we, we have to do it intentionally. So yes, a leader decides, you know, I need to listen to certain people. I can't listen to everybody. And so hopefully I can listen to the members of my executive team. If you're on my team, my door's open to you. I need to know what you're thinking. I need to help you solve emergencies. Uh, you're one of my key leaders. Yeah. I may not be able to listen to Larry down the hall or on the third floor or whatever yeah. when he needs me. So. Uh, Working with you and, and then listening to you in, in other formats, one of the things that I've always been resonating and, and really resonated again today was the saying that I heard Augmandino do during an interview. I can't remember the year that he was making this interview, but he was talking about how we all wake up in the morning and, you know, the, the saying at that time was like mid 80s, late 80s, and that we want to live today like it's our last day. You know, I mean, we want to go at it with all the fervor and, and, and capture the moment. And he says, why don't we, instead of living like that, treat everybody that we meet like it's their last day whoa yeah how would you treat ray then exactly. how would you treat the guy that didn't make the right turning with those right blinkers going on yeah yeah or the guy who's taking long in the coffee pot because he's trying to find the right chemistry between his sugar and cream yeah would it be that bad yeah but i don't know why every time i've heard you share and talk and i've always felt that you seem to be very compassionate towards other people that's a great exercise. Some of what I do is experiential training. And sometimes you line people up facing each other. You might have 50 people on a team. And so you divide them into two lines of 25 and you give them the opportunity to greet one another with a smile, a handshake or a hug, or you just stare them down. They get four choices. Okay. And when they start out, you know, you, you put up your finger, you know, I'll just stare at you. Maybe two is I'll smile three. I'll reach out and and four, I'll hug. Well, nobody's going to hug in the beginning. But then you start telling stories. You know, if this man was going to be in a car accident later today, mm -hmm. what would you do? Make your choice. Oh. If this man was your brother who is suffering through cancer, what would you do? Make your choice. And it's an exercise in just waking people up to the, you know, the value of every day, the value of every person and making every contact count. Wow. Like yeah. I'm gonna be a life giver, even if you're the doorman. Wow. You're gonna get a hug wow. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I see, I, I've always felt that whenever I've spoken with you and that I just, I wanna bring that up today. So no, Ray, thanks. we're coming to the end of our conversation. I gotta know what's the best way for our listeners to contact you? Is, is there a website? Is there a LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok? <laughs> I saw, yeah, well, dance, I saw your dance moves, by the way, on Christine's video. So I know you got dance moves for TikTok. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I don't do a lot of advertising. Um, you can contact me on LinkedIn, Ray Beefus. Okay. Um, you can email me at ray at highpointjourney.com. And that's about it. I'm pretty busy. Most of my work comes through referrals. And so um, here I am with Fabi. You can call Fabi. You can, uh, you know, contact me by email, ray at highpointjourney.com. Or you can check me out on LinkedIn, Perfect. Uh, Ray Beefus.
Perfect. Ray, thank you so much for your time. As always, you're incredibly generous with me with your time. I know we ask a lot of you every day, so thank you once again for coming on Last Number News. Have a good day. I believe in what you're doing, Fabi. Thank you so much, buddy. Appreciate you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Laugh, Lend and Eat, the podcast. Once again, thank you to our sponsors, First Option Mortgage and One Good One Staffing Services. We have enjoyed all the comments we have been receiving. Please keep them coming. To be notified of any updates, please be sure to subscribe to Laugh, Lend and Eat on the listening platform of your choice. Thank you for listening and have a great day.